Hello. Konnichiwa. Welcome to the Glocal Podcast. Brought to you by Kwansei Gakuin University. Tokyo Marunouchi Campus. Our podcast is about people and events from around the world. With your host, Tamago. And Kangaku Taro. Okay,、uh, so let's begin. Teddy, how are you? <laughs> I'm very well. I'm very well. I'm enjoying nice weather for a change. <laughs> And、uh, I'm looking forward to this podcast. And,、uh, know, <laughs> same, same, same here. So, we've got something like this, so <laughs> bear with me. <laughs> okay, yeah, this is,、uh, this is a very casual podcast. We're not professionals, and it is meant to be a casual chat among friends over coffee,、um, except that we're doing it over、uh, Zoom.、Um, so, you're, you're calling in from London. And it's morning time in London and it's evening time in Tokyo, just so our listeners can understand. And so we want to talk to you today about Rwanda. And a lot of Japanese,、uh, particularly Japanese women, are always fascinated by the high rankings that Rwanda gets in the uh, Global uh, Gender Gap Index, which is published by the World um, um, Economic Forum. And so we thought、uh, having somebody like you would be really interesting for our audience to, to get a Rwandan perspective, or more specifically, a perspective of a Rwandan woman on issues of gender in Rwanda and maybe outside of Rwanda.、Um, and then, yeah, so basically,、uh, I think our audience would really love to hear your thoughts on this. So, do you want to tell us? Sorry, sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt.、Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about your background? Uh, yes, uh, I am born and raised in Rwanda. I'm、um, a middle aged woman now, but I've been living in London for the past 20 years.、Uh, oh. I am a mother of、uh, two grown up children.、Yeah. Uh, so my son was born in Rwanda,、uh, but my daughter was born here in London.、Mm. Um, so uh, maybe before I.、Uh, I start telling you about the Rwandan women. Perhaps if you give me a little bit of background of your, you know,、uh, of,、uh, you know, the Japanese women, because I don't know anything about、uh, <laughs> Japanese women and、uh, the issues that、uh, they face as women in their society. And then、uh, I can then, you know, go ahead and、uh, tell you about Rwanda. Rwanda is a bit of an enigma, I think, you know, <laughs> to the whole world right now about、uh, the gender issues. <laughs> so, Interesting. Yeah, I'll be just happy, you know, to tell you everything. Well,、um, the situation of the、uh, gender gap in, in Japan, from the ranking,、uh, this year we're 112, I don't remember. 120, actually. Yeah, 120. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Because、uh, the most of the part is that we don't have the women's politician. That's the most,、uh, the biggest issue. I mean, the, yeah. And then also,、um, in these days,、uh, the women h a s a job, I mean, professional job. But it's,、uh, before that, it's、um, the housewife was standard. In Japan,、mm-hmm. then even you have a job, it's not the、uh, full time job, it's like a more like a part time job.、Mm-hmm. 
Mm. And then still now, so the women, uh, the income is lower than the men. Mm. That's the, you know, the situation now. Mm. How about Natsuki? Because we're different gender, I mean, generation. So how is the students? Mm. For the students, um, we don't really feel the gender gap in younger generation. However, because the um, education and health systems are much equal in Japan. However, the um, for myself, I feel that um, the job that women can yeah, get is different. Also, the career um, is much more difficult for us to like build up because of the um, merit, uh, the marriage and the giving birth to a child and most Japanese companies do not support women enough for us to like both work and raise child at the same time. Mm. I think that's one of the problem I feel in Japanese society. Yeah, so, uh, wow. Uh, I feel like, uh, to be honest, you know, the issues, you know, uh, you have in Japan are uh, kind of, you know, global. Um, it's universal. Even here in London, in the UK, you find that, uh, you know, the, the gap, you know, the gap, you know, in a gender equalities, you know, still, you know, prevalent. And it, it's really visible. You can see, you know, uh, in jobs and positions, you know, see the same. So now going to Rwanda. So the Rwandan phenomena really it goes back to hundreds, you know, of years ago when Rwanda was uh, still a kingdom. And um, so traditionally, you know, you know, as you know, same as Japan, the woman, you know, uh, to raise like uh, the heirs, you know, to the kingdom. And uh, so sometimes the king in Rwanda would die when his firstborn is still, you know, a minor to take on uh, the position of uh, becoming a king. And uh, in that situation, uh, the mother would reign, you know, instead of a son until when the son becomes, you know, major, an adult, you know, to be able to take over. Yeah. So that, I think that's where, you know, this, you know, women's, you know, uh, um, upholding women's rights and everything. That's when, you know, it started because when the woman, you know, uh, ruled, you know, the, the kingdom, you know, she also became the powerful, you know, figure right. in the country. And set an example. That, yeah. So because Rwanda is a very tiny country and uh, it's... it's you know, here they say it's the size of Wales, if you know uh, England, United yeah. Kingdom. So there, because the population was so small and um, Rwandans share traditions, they share the culture, they share, you know, uh, religion. So everyone, you know, shared, you know, the same, you know, culture and tradition. So in that sense, and, you know, 
if the woman, for example, you know, was, uh, you know, in Tokyo and she's a queen, the woman in, in Osaka and uh, the other parts of, you know, the country, you know, they know that and they feel, you know, the, the, the pride and, uh, uh, and um, you know, happy that, uh, you know, you know, the woman is a ruler, you know, for example. So, and uh, so traditionally, the woman in Rwanda is uh, respected and uh, is uh, looked upon, you know, someone who is uh, valuable, you know, in the society. So, for example, you know, like in our names, you know, because we have traditional names, you know, they give us, uh, when the child is born, the father gives the name. And uh, <laughs> some of those names are like, uh, so if I can just, you know, uh, translate, um, like uh, even in my family, we have someone who called, who is called um, produces, you know, children, and uh, among we, women in Rwanda, you know, the job was, you know, to raise to the pillar of the household, you know, and that's a woman's name, yeah. And then um, another one is called um, the mother of the nation, for example, <laughs> uh-huh. you know. So those are traditional names, you know. You know, we we, we bear, you know, we wear as women. So now, fast forward, you know, to this new phenomenon of women in women in parliament and in government positions, you know, in Rwanda. So it all started in 1994 after the big, you know, genocide in Rwanda, if you know that history. So that time, uh, many, you know, we lost in about, you know, a million, you know, people in short space of uh, three months. And uh, some people who died were, you know, like uh, government officials, people who held, you know, uh, big positions, you know, in the country. And then uh, when the um, the RPF, uh, the rebels who came to stop the genocide and they took over power, among those, you know, rebel fighters were women. And they had uh, the ranks of, you know, uh, the major, captain, lieutenant, and those were women. Then when they formed the government, uh, the now the man, you know, who is a president since then until now, you know, uh, he, he knew that he had, you know, to change how things were done, you know, before, you know, the new the new government before the genocide and uh, the reason mainly for him being that uh, obviously Rwanda was receiving you know donations from you know the western countries to rebuild you know the economy and uh, among of you know those donations you know came from obviously from you know the western democracies and you know as you know the the aid comes with uh you know conditions and some of the conditions were to uphold you know the rights the human rights the women rights the all that kind of stuff you know they attach on uh you know uh, on aids so for him you know to be able to appease the donors and uh, to, 
show them that this is a new, you know, Rwanda and uh, and uh, the democracy is at the heart of, you know, why we fought this war and, you know, uh, is uh, to uphold human rights and, and uh, you know, putting women, you know, fast because that's what they did in, 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 um, in the efforts, you know, on the struggle when they fought because women were, you know, um, uh, involved a lot <clears throat> in the efforts. So he formed the government. He then, you know, uh, uh, put women, you know, in front of, you know, uh, you know, the government, you know, positions, you know. Now, uh, then, so the ranking came, you know, I, I remember the first, you know, uh, women, you know, women's rights meetings, you know, uh, was in Beijing, 1995, I think. So the women, many women, you know, Rwandan women, you know, came to those, the summit. And uh, so when they went back, obviously, you know, they, you know, uh, they shared, you know, what was in the summit, how other countries are suffering, you know, uh, this, you know, gender gap, you know, in a government position. And uh, so he's very smart, said, OK, so we're going to do things differently. And uh, he then, you know, that's how he formed the government, you know, really, you know, uh, uh, um, fronted by uh Women, especially in parliament and senate, and because uh, the the Rwandan government model is, you know, the mirror uh, of uh, American uh, model, and uh, so they, there's uh, the the lower house, which is uh, you know the parliament, and then they have you know the senate. So in the parliament, mostly that's where you find women, and these women, you know, they're you know. Uh, trained teachers, nurses, uh, social workers, and, uh, you know, all kinds of doctors that are in there. And uh, he put education, you know, at the front of, you know, Rwandan development as well. So he was very smart in that sense. But uh, unfortunately, because he's uh, a military, you know, by training, and uh, he's a very strong, you know, uh, dictator, to be honest with you, by now. Even though these women are seen and hard and, you know, they, you know, and, and, and they're praised, you know, for, you know, being in this position. Now, the decisions and the decision making, you know, it's quite apparent that uh, they are not the ones who do that. Uh, the decision making comes from the presidential office. And uh, you know who makes the decision. The, the last word has to be, you know, uh, the president's. So even for these lawmakers, they will do their job and maybe draft, you know, the, the you know, the role, but uh, the last, you know, draft will come from the president's office. And that's the laws you see now, you know, are taking place in Rwanda. And uh, so for that, you know, I think, you know, uh, for me personally and, uh, you know, among other people who are, uh, you know, uh, free thinkers and uh, activists, you know, we find this to be uh, a show and uh, it's quite, you know, laughable, to be honest, you know. 
and uh, so um, we are we try hard and you know even though I'm you know I, I don't live in Rwanda but I work you know closely with others you know to try and change you know how things are done and uh, so briefly <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Uh, Teddy, this was fascinating. Um, um, I have a million questions, but I will defer to the ladies. Uh, who wants to go first? Okay, I will go first. Um, so I only know about Rwanda when I see the gender gap report, and I only know the statistics, and I really want to know the reality. Um, do you think Rwanda society is gender equal as the number shown in the global gender gap index? Uh, no, no, it's not. But uh, like I, I said, our traditions uh, respect women. You know, uh, we are born and taught to respect women. You know, as uh, like I said before, because, uh, for example, a family without a mother, it's not a family for us. You know, it's not seen as a family. It's a broken, you know, family. And so before, you know, to, you couldn't hear anywhere where, you know, there's a divorce in the family, for example. And uh, also traditionally, that's why, you know, the, we pay dowry. Actually, they used to pay a lot of, you know, dowry in, you know, to, like, for example, a man pays a bridal price to to, to marry a woman because you're removing that, you know, girl from her family to your family. And because she's very valuable, they pay that, you know, price, you know bridal price. It's not so much now, but it's still the symbol, you know, stay there and they still do it as a symbolic, you know, gesture. But it's not as much as you know uh, it was before. So uh, I would say traditionally yes, but uh, I think politically this has become um, uh, you know something that uh, you know uh, the dictatorship is using you know to just you know uh, to to keep you know their power intact, and um, because uh, you know the West. The West that supports, you know, uh, the government now, because they say, oh, everything is working right, you know, uh, the, the, the 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 human rights, the women rights, you know, at the forefront of everything. When they say something like that, uh, okay, you no, know, we can't even support anyone who's going to change this man because he's doing so well, phenomenally well. You know, the economy is booming. The women, you know, are you know, government, you know, decisions, you know, you're making so. What's there? To, what are you complaining about? So it's until, you know, when, you know, you just scratch the surface of, you know, what actually is visible to the world, you know, then you, what exactly is going on. You know? so, yeah. Eddie, so. I just before I ask um, my other questions, I, this, this issue of dowry, if I understood you correctly, what you were saying is that it's the reverse dowry, right? So generally speaking, the bride's parents pay the dowry to the husband because of the cost no. or whatever associated. But in Rwanda, it's the opposite. You're paying. The, yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. amazing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's the first time I hear of it. That's, that's, that's very interesting. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. So back to the main subject. Um, 
So why do you think uh, women of Rwanda have consistently ranked so highly on these uh, gender reports by the World Economic Forum? If, you know, number one, the political power that they're given so many points for is not necessarily uh, real power. Mm. Um, And perhaps there's other things that they get points for just for the, just on the ranking, right? Just, just, you know, but what you're suggesting and what is apparent is that it's more, it's superficial, right? It's, yeah. yeah and yet, right. So, so these reports are published every year. Women in Japan are upset every year because they see themselves in comparison to other women and mm-hmm. they're not aware that perhaps in the reality may be quite different than what these rankings show. But I guess the question, maybe you may not be able to answer because you're not actually responsible for publishing these reports, but why are these reports still published? I mean, it's almost like this virtuous circle where Rwanda ranks highly on these reports, therefore the West continues to fund it, um, and it's propping up a dictatorship, which then plays these reports with superficial kind of... uh, uh, policies that keep it up on the rankings. Is that yeah. is that is that a fair kind of representation of what's going on? It's a very fair, yeah, 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 um, uh, thing to say. Because I think, it, first of all, um, um, uh, well, government of Rwanda and the economy of Rwanda actually is made by and large uh, by you know uh, donations, yeah, and. Uh, so 85% of, you know, GDP is uh, n- not a homegrown, you know, uh, you know a economy. It's not made in Rwanda. It's uh, uh, the money that comes outside, you know, the big, you know, governments like, you know, UK, uh, USA. You mean you foreign know, aid? Foreign aid. And right. I'm sure, I'm, I'm not sure, but I, I know Japan it does, you know, uh, Pay something in the government, you know, uh, coffers of Rwanda. So, because you know they, they took on this responsibility, you know, from 1994 after the genocide to help to rebuild, you know, the economy, and uh, so be, because of that, uh, the you know the, the government, the political powers. In order to, to to appease, you know, the the donors and uh, the Western world that supports, you know, their uh, policies, they have to 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 do the things they were asked, you know, to the conditions that you know come with the foreign aid, you know. There are things like, you know, education, you know. Money has to go to education. Money has to go to, you know. Um, uh, um, Women, you know, uh, in you know, death in childbirth, death or whatever, and um, you know, there is like um, crisis, like you know, um, pandemics and stuff like that. It's um, uh, yeah, healthcare, obviously, and uh, so at the front of the spending of the foreign aids, there's always. Uh, the female, the woman who is like a director of, you know, such and such, you know, uh, the CEO of such and such and such. And so, but with that, you know, the, okay, 
the money can't go anywhere to be, you know, into those projects that's supposed to go to without the permission from, you know, the presidential office. Right. And, but, but, and this is this is in every every ministry, every, you know, uh, department. Yeah. But I guess my point is that foreign aid also, I'm sure, supports democracy, uh, democratic elections, respect for human rights. And and yet Rwanda is is not doing well on those indicators. Right. So yeah. why does it keep uh, succeeding and sort of propping up this image of itself? Why is it still allowed to do that yeah. by the donors? Right. Yeah, I understand that because uh, the Rwanda has a very big PR machinery that you know does the work, you know, Interesting. for him. Yeah, the president hires you know PR companies you know here in in London, in uh, New York, USA, uh, wherever he feels you know he has you know uh, the interest in those countries because again we, we the, the the foreign aid that comes from you know uk you know it has to have you know there have to be a pr company here working to convince you know the the first of all the lobbying he has lobbying yeah right. and right. Uh, among of his lobbyists is uh, the former prime minister of the uk tony blair He's the biggest, you know, supporter of Kagame. And uh, now in the president's office, there's uh, something called presidential uh, policy, you know, something. That team was formed by Tony Blair because Tony Blair had uh, a, um, an office in, in, in the president's office, yeah. in the Rwandan president's office. So he formed that team as a, an advisory team, you know, to the president. Mm. And <laughs> when you look at uh, the, the team members, most of them are the British, the, the Americans. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, and he pays quite a lot of money to these PR companies, you know, to do yeah. the propaganda, you know, work for him. And clearly they pay for themselves because they keep the money flowing, right? Exactly. Yeah. I, I want to ask you the you know the people in Rwanda, men and women, are they happy with that you know uh, less gender gap? I mean, the women has a uh, you know position in uh, politics and you know the also the companies and in the society. So I I'm kind of you know wondering, it's are they happy with that situation? Uh, no, of course, that, that the answer will be no. But uh, because uh, unfortunately, Rwandans are like uh, muted right now. You know, they uh, they can't you know really uh, raise their voice. Anyone who tries you know to speak against you know the the the, the doings of you know uh, the the powers, uh, they either you know get thrown in jail. And uh, or they get uh, really, you know, traumatized by really, you know, threats, you know, they put upon them and their families. So there's no freedom of speech in Rwanda. And uh, for those who try to, you know, to 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 really do the activism work to try and change things, uh, like uh, you know, people who are outside of Rwanda, but within Rwanda, you. 
you know, no one, you know, speaks up. Teddy, are you able to visit Rwanda? Not right now. <laughs> okay. And that's because of your activism or another reason? Yeah, that, that would be, yeah. Okay. Have you been uh, told in some way that you're not welcome or? No, no, uh, no, no, yeah. no, no. It's, it's just precaution, you know, okay. because uh, I can't. And also uh, because I'm, I'm, I'm unhappy about uh, the situation, I feel like I'll be a hypocrite, you know, for me to actually uh, uh, really go and be happy because it's a very beautiful country, Rwanda. It's, uh, yeah. yeah, it's really, really mesmerizing, you know, with its uh, evergreen, you know, uh, mm. hills and mountains and all that and, and uh, the climate. And it's a very gentle, you know, little country. Before it used to be called the Swiss of Africa and now they call it Singapore of Africa. <laughs> right, right. Because of its beauty and also how it's developing very quickly. I mean, on the surface, you know, the, everything looks really, really good. But uh, it's, you know, the the underlying, you know, you know, uh, the bad things that happen, you know. And uh, for the outside world, you 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 cannot, you know, say that because mm. everything else is fine, you know. So it's only those who know that know that uh, everything's not well. Uh, so uh, where do you see the country going in the next 10 years or 15 years? Uh, the, the country where it's going is, you know, uh, I don't know. But uh, um, we, so the president had uh, changed, you know, the constitution in 2000 and, uh, was it 2017? Yeah so that he could just, you know, um, you know, run another um, term, which and the term in Rwanda is uh, seven years mm. instead of five. And uh, so, uh, you know, he, we don't know whether he'll ever, so he, he's been, you know, in power since, you know, uh, 2003 was the first election, you know, that, you know, he got, you know, uh, he was voted into the office, but, uh, you know, he was actually, um, you know, um, a leader even, you know, before that, since 1997. He was a, a de facto, you know, a leader, president, since 1997. So, uh, so... 1994, no, no, actually, to be honest, since, you know, after the genocide. So right, when, when he took years. over, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so uh, 27 years and still counting. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't see the, the, whether he, there'll be a day when he says, uh, I'm just now, you know, uh, packing my bags and I'm retiring, you know, from this. Mm -hmm. And also because he he didn't help to build you know strong institutions you know mm. and uh, to really you know um, groom hand over you know, yeah you know to hand over and groom yeah. the leaders of the future uh, that that's uh, a big problem even mm. for the uh, activism you know we do. I still look around to see, you know, who could actually, you know, 
take over and uh, really, you know, make change. Uh, it, it's still, you know, not known, you know, who actually is, you know, ready and capable, you know, to take over. But uh, so his um, <clears throat> this his term, I think, finishes in in twenty twenty four, and uh, so we'll see. He managed to change the constitution, you know, in, in yeah. 2017, in, in order to remain in power. You know, he will probably do it again, you know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he's now, you know, um, becoming an elderly person now. He's in his mid-60s now. Yeah. So, and, uh, you know, I think from where I see his health as well is kind of, you know, uh, you know, letting him down a little bit. So hopefully, you know, with okay. that, there's a hope. <laughs> but uh, uh, I don't know. I'm not holding my breath, you know, to seeing, you know, the day when he says that uh, um, I'll leave. But uh, that, that's not, uh, you know, for only Rwanda, it's, uh, you know, Africa is all the same. But, and, other, uh, and know, other parts of the world, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. Well, in Rwanda, so now the kids, especially the kids, can get the opportunity of the education is equally. Yeah, the education, you know, is a we're supposed to have like free education for the uh, under eighteen. Under eighteen. Okay. Wow. But uh, then the quality of. Education is uh, very, very poor. That you know, people now privately have you know, um, you know, uh, uh, built and formed you know, uh, private uh, education, private schools, and uh, the most shocking thing is that uh, uh, even you know the you know those government officials. They take out their children, they, you know, they educate them, you know, outside of Rwanda. Oh. So, yeah, that tells you everything you need to know <laughs> that if they can't use, you know, the education system there, you know, you know, it's just, you know, the, the poor, ordinary Rwandan who just, you know, um, you know, gets that, you know, the bad quality of education is left to have that. but. There you go. But uh, there is, you know, free education to, you know, uh, all under 18. Yeah. Only if uh, the education system was uh, of, uh, you know, you know, a high standard or good standard at least, you know, uh, that would be very good, wouldn't it? <laughs> mm. yeah. So the young generation who for getting an education outside of Rwanda, do they mm. coming back to Rwanda or they just after the graduation just they uh, stayed in an outside of Rwanda? Yes, yeah, some, some, yeah, okay. some come back. Yeah. Yeah. Not everyone, but mostly they, they go back to Rwanda, some of them, because then they go back and and, and uh, take over position because mm. then the this the nepotism in Rwanda is also, you know, uh you know, seen as a, you know, it's just a normal thing, you know. So if, uh, for example, your mother was a CEO of uh, a bank, then you'll be, you know, you, you, you'll be sure to get uh, a position in that bank or somewhere else of equal, 
you know, a high position. And one more thing. So uh, the women in Rwanda, mm-hmm. in public or, or the, mm, say in public or the, in the uh, family, I mean the house, mm-hmm. you can tell your opinion. <laughs> the, I mean, the, you know, the others can listen. I mean, they, do they listen to your opinion? I mean, the women's opinion or... Mm, they listen too, but they don't like it. Because, uh, well, so for example, the Japanese situation in Japan, so I'm in the late of 40s, and still I feel if I say something, I feel the man doesn't like it. Of course, they don't say it, but I feel it, they don't like it. So how is the situation in Rwanda? Okay, so you know, household is different because mm. uh, the households still, you know, um, uphold you know traditions, and uh, the tradition in Rwanda is that uh, the woman was like a is a, is a decision maker for the household. So what happens, you know, even when, you know, for example, myself when you know I was there, married, you know, my husband, and he would, you know, at uh, at that time out. At that time, I was still studying, so I didn't go to work. But he was the breadwinner, so he would bring, you know, the money. At the end of the month, he brings, you know, his salary back home, and he hands me, you know, the money. <laughs> and he doesn't tell me how to spend it. <laughs> so he brings the money, he gives it to me, so I make all the decisions, you know, for the family. Yeah. Sounds <laughs> so a bit like Japan, by the way. All right. There you go. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so in the household, yes, the woman will say, you know, make decisions, you know, what, mm. what the family's going to eat, what clothes to buy for the kids, you know, uh, when to pay the bills and, and, and things like that. So really, you you take all the man's <laughs> job, you know, <laughs> to yourself. But uh, you now... Publicly, like in public offices, like I said, then the politics now, you know, they kick in and, uh, you know, depending, I think, on, on the, you know, the leader, maybe mm-hmm. hopefully after this one, maybe we get a president who really and truly upholds, you know, women's, you know, rights, you know, for real. So if the the women in parliament, they, they have to have a word, you know, really to be free to speak out for the issues of the community and society. So, like, right now, it's it's really sad to see them, you know, in the parliament sitting there not saying anything at all, you know. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, when, you know, one, you know, decides to say something, they'll say something really silly, you know, like, uh, oh, the roads here, they need to be, you know, looked at and things like that. But when it comes, you know, to the human rights abuse, no one wants, you know, to rock the box with the president. <laughs> mm. And because we all know where the human rights abuse, they come from. They come directly from, you know, the president's, you know, office. Because he, 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 he really, um, how do you call, he, um, you know, he manages the country with an iron fist, you know. Mm. And, uh, wow. He micromanages, mm-hmm. you know, the the country, the government, everywhere. 
Yeah. Um, so I understood that women politicians in Rwanda is kind of arranged for their promotion of Rwanda. However, um, I think um, they are still working as uh, politicians, right? In yes. Um, and I th- think that Jap- Japanese government's um, problem is that they kind of say women to work and raise children at the same time without any support. Um, do uh, Rwandan government give those women politicians those kind of support, like for raising children and the work at the same time? Yeah, 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 they do. They do. Uh, otherwise, they won't be, you know, uh, appointing them, you know, in those positions. And uh, and one thing also to, uh, to know is that uh, most of the, these uh, parliamentarian, you know, women are not actually elected into the office. They are appointed. Yeah. So the, they would, you know, the, just, they would just, you know, send a name, for example, uh, some women, you know, they, at the normal, ordinary, you know, a teacher would be at school teaching on that day. And then, you know, the, someone will come or the letter will come or the oh the announcement on the television on the radio they will mention the name your name that uh oh you are a parliament of you know uh your zone your area where you, oh okay so now i leave the teaching job now i'm going to become you know an mp and uh, they don't even give you the time you know to get yourself ready they said no Straight away, please, you know, you are expected, you know, to attend to your, you know, new job, you know, at the parliament. <laughs> so they're not even consulted? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> that's okay. That's that's news to us, I suppose. Okay. All right. So, Teddy, um, you and I spoke before, and uh, I want to ask you if you would like to share with us uh perhaps the events that led you to ultimately leave Rwanda. All right. And it's up to you. No, it's fine. It's fine. And I think uh, you know, I'm at the point where, you know, I speak about these things without really, you know, feeling uh emotional. But I do feel emotional, but uh, you know, I see I speak up because uh, you know, if if you know you can just, you know, um give a little bit of the insights of, you know, what actually happened, you know, to us. Mm. Uh, yeah, so um, like I said, I've been, you know, living here, actually it's more than 20 years now. I came here 1998, so mm. 24 years now. Yeah, so anyway, so 1994, uh, there was a genocide, as uh, I don't know if, you know, the ladies uh, on your side, they know the history of that in Rwanda. So they're, they're nodding, but they forget that you're not on video and you can't see them. All <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> Sorry. Next time I'll be more prepared. <laughs> it's, it's okay. So they can see me. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> so um, yeah. So in the genocide, so Rwanda is made of uh, three. Uh, ethnic groups. So remember, Rwanda is a tiny country. We share cultures, we share, you know, religion, we share uh, tradition. But uh, 
within us, we have three uh, ethnic groups, two major ones. One is a Hutu uh, ethnic group, and uh, the other is a Tutsi ethnic group. So problems in Rwanda started uh, back in 1959, and that's around when, you know, a whole of Africa had begun to um, to seek independence, you know, from the colonialists. So in Rwanda, you know, we had uh, Belgian colonialists, but uh, also Rwanda was a kingdom. So when the colonialists came, you know, to Rwanda, they, uh, by the way, Rwanda was not, was not supposed to be a colony, it was uh, a protectorate, you know, of uh, Belgium. Uh, Belgium. Mm. So the Belgians, you know, uh, over, you know, they took, you know, powers in Rwanda, but they re- left you know, the, the king, the, the monarchy. They did not, you know, uh, abolish the monarchy. So the monarchy comes traditionally comes from the Tutsi ethnic, you know, group. And uh, so in 19, <clears throat> then the majority of the population in Rwanda, which is the Hutu, they then, you know, the time when they were seeking, the Africa was seeking you know, independence from the colonialists and the, the Hutus also, they were, you know, revolting, you know, one, you know, uh, seeking independence from the uh, um, the Belgians and also abolishing, you know, the kingdom because uh, they, at that time, you know, they felt, uh, you know, they uh, they didn't want to be ruled by the Tutsis anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So in 1959, they abolished the kingdom and uh, the Belgians, you know, uh, left Rwanda. And so the first uh, Republic of Rwanda formed and uh, the Hutu uh, uh, leadership. And uh, at the time, the the Tutsis were, you know, uh, um, uh, persecuted and some, you know, uh, fled the, con- the country. Uh, they fled to neighboring countries like uh, Congo, uh, Burundi, Uganda, Tanzania, and uh, others, you know, went to, they went up to, you know, to, to, to the West, like in Europe and the USA. So, uh, and uh, so for those who fled the country for 30 years, lived in exile, they then, you know, uh, seek to return to their country of origin, which is Rwanda, and mainly for the exiled in our neighboring countries who are being uh, again persecuted in, in those countries. And uh, they were like treated like, uh, you know, subhumans. And so mm. they wanted their rightful place in their country, Rwanda. And so they, they, they started, um, seeking, you know, talks with the government of Rwanda at the time, which was led by a Hutu general. And uh, the say the Rwanda is a very tiny country. It's like um, a, a full, you know, 
cup if you you just you know uh, pour the water you know a glass full of water obviously the water will spill out and this is how Rwanda is Rwanda is overpopulated you can't you know uh, manage to take back uh, the exact tutties so now that's when the rpf you know was formed because they they started you know struggled you know the efforts to return home you know by force so the first so okay so not all the tutties you know fled the country in 1959 and 60 and 61 so the minority Tutsis were left in Rwanda. And uh, so in 1990, when the, the fled, you know, Tutsis, the exiled Tutsis, you know, uh, attacked the Rwanda now because they were now fully fledged, you know, rebel groups, military oh. trained. And uh, so they, 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 um, they assaulted Rwanda the first time in 1990. So the night, that time, uh, the Tutsis, you know, inside Rwanda now, they started being, you know, uh, persecuted again, thrown in jail uh, because they were seen as a, a accomplice, you know, with, uh, you know, their relatives, you know, uh, exile relatives. So, 90, so there was a, a civil war from 1990 to 1994. But uh, it took the killings were not at the scale which we saw in 1994. So slowly the Tutsis were being killed, you know, and uh, the outside world didn't, didn't know until 1992, 93, when the UN, you know, uh, uh, sent uh, the peacekeeping troops in Rwanda. Mm -hmm. and, um, so, um, so fast forward to 1994, uh, there were peace talks again held in Tanzania, and uh, the Hutu president uh, attended, you know, those peace talks, which were um, led by a uh, Tanzanian president and even then East African, you know, presidents. Mm. So on his way back, uh, his his plane was shot down by don't know until today we don't know who who did that and uh, when the plane was you know shot down and uh, the tutus in the country uh, were now attacked and killed you know with vengeance so people so, assumed there was the tutsis yes. that shot down the plane yes hmm. yes no no it, it was just the anger that uh, because uh, on one side there was this civil war going on, which was uh, you know the RPF rebels were fighting and actually they were winning the war uh, because they had support also from you know uh, mysterious you know uh, you know powers that were right. supporting you know the war struggles. Right. And then uh, you know so because the war the the, the government you know uh, soldiers were you know like losing the war. Now they formed these militia groups, you know, among you know the Rwandans, the neighbors who knew their neighbors and stuff. And so when they shot down, you know, the president's plane. Now, you know, our neighbors, you know, attacked, you know, us, you know, because they they had to wipe off, you know, the 
tooting in the country. Mm. And uh, so that's what happened to me as well. You know, so, so, so Teddy, uh, you're, so you're a Tutsi, but yes. you were not affected in the years like the from let's say ninety two, ninety three. Somehow you were still safe. Your family was still safe. Uh, somehow um, was safe, but not all of my family. Yeah, mm-hmm. not all of my family. It's a, it's quite a long story to tell because. Okay. Uh, yeah. But my point is that it was still relatively okay, but 1994, nobody was safe. Is that yes. correct? I mean, it just well, became... 1994, there was no place to hide for a Tutsi. If you were a Tutsi, you were mm-hmm. being, you know, hunted down, you know, to be killed. By so Europe. the aim was to wipe out yeah. what the Tutsi looked like in Rwanda. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, it was so easy for them because, uh, you know, everyone knew everyone in Rwanda. And uh, so the neighbors kid neighbors, you know, where it was overwhelming for them, you know, now the soldiers, you know, intervened. They came to help too, to Mm. kill. (laughs) Yeah. And you survived. I survived, mysteriously, but uh, I was left for death. You know, they they thought I was dead. and. so my husband and my two very young kids were killed. You know? Wow. Yeah. And uh, the wow. my son and myself survived somehow. And, I'm so uh, sorry to hear that. That so that part we did not discuss last time. So I'm really sorry to hear. Yeah. So uh yeah, now so fast forward, I you know, uh, we then we started over, you know, we started life over again, very difficult, you know. I was left, you know, disabled and, uh, you know, raising, you know, my son who was uh, three years old at the time. And the, then, you know, I, I went to work for United Nations when I, you know, I somehow got some energy and, you know, healed a bit. I got the job, I worked and then I 1998, and that was four years after I uh, I came here. Yeah, mm. you decided to emigrate to the UK. Yeah. At first, well, at first you 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 traveled to the UK for medical reasons, and then I, I, I and, did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I thought it was going to be just too long to tell. Yeah. So the the because I worked for UN and mm. uh, the. Uh, the representative, the UN representative in the country was, uh, you know, from here, was a British mm. person. And uh, so they sponsored me for, to come here for medical uh, reason because uh, I, I had, you know, uh, as a result of you know, what hap- had happened to me, mm. I developed, the, you know, uh, you know, saying that, you know, migraines and also I had really bad, you know, scars, you know, all over my body. And uh, so I, I was suffering, and uh, then uh, the UN, you know, uh, sponsored me to come here for medical treatment. Mm. And uh, so for the whole year, I had a, I took sabbatical, mm. and uh, during my uh, my time here, you know, seeking treatment, and my uh, consultants, you know, obviously I was talking to them. They knew, you know, my situations, and they were talking to my boss as well. And uh, they were convincing. This is why, oh, really, 
psychologically, we don't think it's good for you to go back there. There's a, you can make life here. You, you, um, you know, you have suffered enough, but uh, now you, you're here, you're getting used to this country and we're doing a good job with you, you know, of, uh, because at the time then I had, I went through therapy as well. Sure. Yeah. So they said in order to, to not undo the good work we've done with you, maybe think about, uh, you know, you know, staying here because staying here. You, really you don't have anything to go back there for, yep. you know. Yeah. So well, that's I, just, how you... I mean, I wanted to, I wanted the audience to know that, that you're a survivor and that you're a fighter and uh, yeah. you're a very, very tough uh, person. So I thought that was an important part of the story to share, if you know, with your permission. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, so we're here now, you know. We started life here. It was very, very difficult, you know, to find yourself, myself, in a, in a very... Uh, strange you know <laughs> yeah. everything everything was a shock in my system and also having a small child you know to raise mm. you know for myself and also I had to, to somehow you know uh, find work you know go back you know to education and find mm. work and to you know uh, and survive you know mm. in, in the British you know uh, society so we managed that you know was hard work, but we did. Mm. My son, you know, uh, you know, because I was determined, you know, for him to have an education mm. because, you know, one of the things, you know, the Rwandans do is uh, educate themselves. You know, we, we seek right. education wherever we are. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we we did manage. He finished his education now. You know, he's working now. He, he's... Uh, a trained, you know, uh, physiotherapist because he did uh, sports science at the university. Nice. And, uh, yeah. I'm sure you're very proud of him. Uh, I am, and uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm relieved more than anything <laughs> to see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, you know, he's, uh, you know, a good, decent, you know, uh, a uh, member of the society. <laughs> yeah. Well, if he's your son, there's no other way for him to turn out, is there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, my God, right. he. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. So, and then you know, I then I met my uh, daughter's father. Now my daughter is 19 years old. She's also at university. She's in her second year now, doing uh, um maths and physics and uh, aviation studies. Uh, wow. Uh, hopefully she'll finish that. And uh, she, I think she wants to become a commercial pilot, but at the same time, she likes engineering. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like she's a very ambitious girl. Uh, well, I think she is, but uh, she's very quiet. <laughs> All right. Teddy, thank you so much for uh, sharing your time and your uh, your story, your personal story, and also the story of uh, modern Rwanda with us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, it might be very tough to share your experience to the audience, but it's, uh, it's so grateful to having you as a guest. And, and so thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for the good work that you're doing. I hope, you know, the Japanese women are appreciating, you know, 
what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're appreciated. So I hope the man has to be appreciated. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Teddy, you enjoy your, uh, the rest of your weekend. Thank you so much again. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Global with your host, Tamago and Kangaku Taro. See you next time. Bye-bye.